0: John chapter 3, we will read it together, Um, we're going to read up to, from from verse 1 to 21, it says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi. And Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he does not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Father, we pray that you would take... This time, Lord, and that You would teach us, Lord, You would help us to see different aspects of this encounter that You had with Nicodemus, and I, I pray, Father, that um, just open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. This chapter, to me, is is just fascinating. I, I never read the Bible as as a um, As a text, I never read the Bible as uh, books of the Bible, you know, just necessarily books of the Bible. I always read the Bible as God's life through dealing with man's lives and relationships. It really is like that. Everywhere you look in the Bible, God is speaking in relationship to man. And, and here, I just can't help but to see Nicodemus, a, a religious man, one of the leaders of Jerusalem, of, of, of Israel, of the whole country, one of the teachers of the whole country. And, and, and he knew the law of God, and he loved the law of God, and he practiced the law of God on the outside, but was not aware of the promise of God. He was not aware of what God was doing. So he was trying very hard on the outside. But he, was, he had not been impacted and transformed on the inside. And the Lord says to him, unless you are born again. We do not, um, we do not have a problem of keeping rules. Uh, it's not that we should be better people and, and we should do nicer things. We have a problem of the heart. You know, we have a problem that no matter how good we live, there's, there's almost like this, this, th- there's this principle inside of us that says, whatever you're not supposed to do, do it. I see it in Arden. Go ahead. Touch that. No. Don't touch that. Yes. It's just crazy. I have a friend that designed a website of a, Christian, of a Christian website of a church, and it was a beautiful website with different aspects of it, and then it said, uh, it had one area that says, "Do not click here." <laughs> Why not? <laughs> you know And I clicked there and it said, "You have sinned. You know, and, and then it's share the gospel with you, you know. But the reality is that whatever we're not supposed to do, there's something in us that craves to do it. And so the problem is not um, uh, on the outside, the, it, it's not that we do bad things, it's not that we are sinners because, because we do bad things. Is we do bad things because there's something in us that needs to be repaired. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, look, unless you are born again, unless you receive that new heart, that Ezekiel promise the God through Ezekiel promise the Jeremiah the God through Jeremiah promise you need that you don't need a band-aid you need open-heart surgery. And so we looked at that last week and we looked at the fact that when God changes a person he changes them um, he changes um the, the the thought process he changes the heart the affections he changes the will no longer is what I want to do but is what does he want to do. I you know I love that in, in marriage usually marriage goes wrong when two people say I want and those I wants are different from the other I want this, I want that, so therefore. But imagine a marriage where it's not I want or I want, but what does he want? And both are yielded to that one will. That's harmony. That's harmony. And so here here the Lord is saying to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you receive a a, a mind that understands spiritual things. You, you you, You receive a heart that has affections, that actually loves God, and you have a will that is submissive to God. And you know there's a big difference between submission and obedience. You can obey something with a rebellious heart. You can actually obey with rebellion. But when you submit, that means you're wanting to yield out of your heart. So I, 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 don't, I don't suggest this with God, but um, with people, sometimes you can be submissive and actually not obey. I think the disciples were like that when they were forbidden to speak the word of God. They said, judge for yourselves. Should we submit to you or to God? They wanted to obey. They were submissive, but they couldn't. And submission's an attitude. And we should have, and, and, and when we become Christians, there's, there's uh, this overgrowing, uh, overwhelming growth of this, this attitude of submission. And so today we're looking at a different aspect jesus i mean and it's amazing we looked at last week that uh... here here's a man is serious about religion he is powerful leader he's humble enough to approach jesus he has he was very knowledgeable he acknowledges the facts and and you know he's a guy that is He's seen the signs as everyone else jesus it says about him that he does not commit himself to the multitude He's not going to commit himself to the multitude, but this Nicodemus, he goes closer to Jesus. He's not so concerned about what Jesus does. He's concerned about who Jesus is. And this is huge for our life. This is huge if we are to become Christians, if we are to grow as Christians. Our primary concern is not going to be what I can get or what he does. My primary concern is who he is. And how I'm loved and how, in turn, I love back. It's a love relationship. And here Jesus reveals the motive, not only what Nicodemus needs, you need to be born again. But he reveals the motive, why God does it. And the motive is love. Uh sent me a message the other day. He's like, well, if God is love, then why do these people get killed all over the place? And, you know, the other day, and I, and I was just like, you should repent for having that thought. No, I'm just kidding. No. Um, the other day I was with, um, with a guy that was, uh, he, he received chari- uh, an award as being the, the, the Charity of the Year Award in the U.K., and and so I uh, he's been coming to church here for the last few years and we went and I met him in Fornaluce which is another story altogether because he says meet me at the top of the mountain it was just like oh my goodness eight kilometers up the up the thing and uh, I was dead afterwards and we went to Fornaluce and we had a coffee and as I'm talking to his wife I said what did you do she's like I was a judge I used to I I used to put people in jail for up to two years if if they were guilty and I was just like oh my goodness. That, that's amazing. I mean, here you've got the guy that provides homes for the homeless, um, food for the poor. You know, just uh, here you have the benevolence of, of, of our society, the goodness of our society providing help. But here you have the judge who's also the goodness of the society to keep order. And they're both in the same family. And sometimes we want to separate these things, but with God, he is just, he is holy, he is righteous. He he is judge. But he's love. And because he saw the problem that we have in our heart, as Nicodemus approaches Jesus, he reveals himself, not just his actions, himself himself, And he says to him, you know what? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What an amazing thing. I mean, here Nicodemus presses closer to Jesus. And Jesus rewards that pressing closer to Jesus with revelation, with knowledge, with wisdom. And you know what? I said it last week and I, and I left and I'm like, oh, I want to say it again this week. You can live as close to God as you like. It says, and, and I believe with all my heart that God is the initiator. But in James it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And whether it's grabbing your Bible and just go and read a little bit. Whether it's turning on worship music. Whether it's going for a walk and just prayerfully just say, Lord, oh, oh, who are you? What do you want from me? Take me deeper. Draw near to him. And he draws near to you. Sometimes we feel lost. And I had a friend that used to say, you know, whenever I feel lost, I just worship God. And then he finds me. We can be as close to him as we like. But anyway, all this to say that and if he, um, Paul had this revelation. Paul was a Pharisee like, like Nicodemus. And on the road to Damascus, after he had been persecuting Christians, and after he had been putting them to jail, and after he cast his vote for Stephen to be killed, Jesus stops him on the road and he says, Why do you persecute me? And, he, and, and Saul of Tarsus says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. And that day, the apostle Paul, no doubt, realized that he was about to be put to death. I mean, he was Jesus' greatest enemy. And instead of finding judgment, instead of finding death, he found grace. And he was smacked, boom, by the love of God. <laughs> I mean, the guy was smacked by the love of God. He was never the same. You read the letters, and he's just, I mean, everywhere. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. He was just mesmerized by by the love of God. He, it was the anchor of his life. It was the foundation of his life. It was the very fountain of his life. It was everything. The very love of God. And he writes this years later because he's praying for the church of Ephesus and he's praying for the people. And, and, and I want to I encourage all of us. I want to encourage all of us here today that none of you, no matter who you are, some of you haven't even started, but none of you have arrived None of you have arrived. There's deeper to go. And here Paul prays for you. He prays for me. And he says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's people. Listen, to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. A love that surpasses knowledge. That means it's not something that we can know theoretically. I mean the Bible speaks about the love of God has been shed in our hearts. And so I thought I would tackle these four things about God's love. That Nicodemus discovered that we can go deeper in. Number one. The width of God's love. God's love is wide. You know, and, and, and um, he was, uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, they believed that, um, that well, the Talmud um, and, and the, the Jewish writings, that women and Gentiles, any Jews here? Okay, so all of us, women, whether Jew or not, And Gentiles which is all of us we had been born to fuel the flames of hell they thought they were the only ones they were loved and Nicodemus when when Jesus says to him for God so loved the world I mean he all of a sudden is taking away from his prejudice that God only loves the Jew but actually, uh, he's taken away from that to realize that God's love is so wide that He loves people from every nation, for uh, from every. Well, it says in Revelation chapter five, verses nine through eleven: "For you were slain, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe, and tongue, and people, and nation." And then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was thousands times ten thousand and thousands of thousands. It says, after these things in Revelation 7, 9, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And here, look, every tongue, every nation, and it says, the Bible says, from one blood. God's love extends to every human being. And sometimes we might think, well, that's common sense. Until we have a guy here at church, Chris... Who was an amazing musician, and he was traveling around with a worship band, and they were in Alabama. Now this guy's a lot younger than me, and he went to lead worship with his band to this church. And as he went there, um, one of the elders went up to uh, the the, the, one, the worship leader and said to him, "Hey, um, sorry, you you can't." You, he can't play here why because in our bylaws it says that no black person can lead worship here it's crazy I mean it's crazy that racism you know, sometimes it's it's, it's uh, against tribes. Sometimes it's against particular nations. Sometimes it's uh, particular nationalities. But sometimes it's against uh, particular people, like the Gypsy, or sometimes it's anti-Semitism against the Jew. We are Jesus is not a racist. A racist. God is not a racist. He's love is wide. And he shocked the people of his time when he went as we will look at next chapter and he goes to not only a woman, but he goes to a Samaritan woman and his love extends to every human being that lives on the earth, no matter what nation they're from, what tribe they're from. Love for all. Now, Love for all does not mean that we celebrate all. It doesn't mean that we celebrate uh, particular. Uh, we don't celebrate people's sin. We don't celebrate people's uh, rebellions. We don't celebrate uh, people's dif- different things. But but we, you know. And, and the best example I can say that is is if if I had a, a child that was addicted to heroin, I don't celebrate that. But the love pushes into that. Right? So it's, it's not a celebration, but it's definitely a love and a desire to, to, to help people from every tribe. And you know, that should, that should help us that no matter where we come from. That God's love, if we ever think that He could love everybody else but us, it should get us to a point where we realize, oh my goodness, God's love is so wide that it includes me. You ever feel like he could love everybody else but you? You know, that, but you know it, the, the love of God is not for everybody else. It's for you. It's for me. You ever feel like God just tolerates you? It's like, hey, come. You can sit there, but stay there. But God's love is... Deep for you. But God's love is not just wide to include you and, and, and everybody else. But it is also long. And I love that. The length no doubt speaks of the endless character of the love of God. And in Jeremiah 31.3 it says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That means there's no interruptions in God's love for you and God's love for us. No interruptions. There's not, oh, today I did good, so He loves me. Today I did bad, so He, ooh, He's withdrawn. <laughs> He doesn't suddenly stop, he doesn't, you know, you ever have somebody that, oh my goodness, they can't speak well, of, well enough of you. Oh my goodness, you are so wonderful, you're just amazing, and you're this and you're that. And the next thing you know, they hate you the next day. And you're like, what? What happened with that? You know, i I always with American and Germans, you know. Um, I, I've lived in Germany many years and I lived in the States and um, I love both places. But it is quite a, you know, that they, they say the Germans are quite cold. And I would always say to them, the Germans might be a bit cold. They're slower in interim relationships. When you get in, you're in. You got a friend. Where in the States sometimes, it's just like, come on over and visit. And then you show up and visit, like, who are you? Why are you here? <laughs> you know? It's just like, you have that kind of, but you know, Jesus' love is, is um, it's long. It's, 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 I mean, he's loved us since the foundation of the world, since before the foundation of the world, and he will love us all right through eternity, and there's no interruption. I mean, think of the, the verse where it says, the steadfast love of Of the Lord never ceases think of the prodigal son and this is where probably where I have to I will this is the place I will probably be challenged the most but think of the father the father let the son go I mean he loved them enough to make his own decision he wasn't celebrating what he was doing but he loved them and it seems to me that the father just couldn't I mean, he just waited and waited and waited. And when that son realized that he had blown it and that he was left with nothing... It says that he picked up and went back home. He says, you know, the, the pigs eat better than I do or the servants eat better. I would rather, I forgot exactly what he said right now. But, um, but he just made his, a beeline for home. And then it says that the father began to ran, run towards the son. It's the only place in the Bible that God is seen or depicted as running and it was towards his son that i repented but it's not that he when he was doing bad he ceased to love him he loved them right through it that's challenging i mean it, it's nice when we think of enjoying that but but it's difficult when we think of giving that no that we would love people through he's an immovable rock of love and you know what our minds have to be transformed Because nobody loves like him. And it was the love of Jesus that ultimately broke Peter's heart. Do you love me? Jesus said to Peter. And you know, he had just denied him. And he couldn't believe that he denied him. But he couldn't believe that after denying him, Jesus would still love him. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 49, 15. If you have marker, just highlight it on your Bible. It says, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can you imagine you give birth? Can you imagine getting rid of that child? So God asks, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that was possible, and it is possible, sometimes people have children and they throw them away. But God says, as imaginable as it is to us, even if that were possible, I will not forget you. You know what will make heaven attractive? What do you think about heaven? What do you think when we go to be with them? I mean, and we, you know, we're all going to depart earth. What do you think about that's going to make heaven attractive? And I think what's going to make heaven attractive, it's going to be filled with the love of God. Completely, I mean, just the atmosphere of love. Jonathan, um, he, he he, just loves, he, he loves to be a bit moved inside with um just suspense he hates suspense but he loves suspense so he asked me if we could watch Lord of the Rings and um, and so he, literally he watches it like this and he wants me next to him you know and, and then he, he has he has nightmares right and I was telling and I and, and and I used to be when I was growing up I was a real I, I slept in my grandmother's bed till I was 13 I mean if you have problems with your children sleeping in your bed I slept in my grandmother's bed till I was 13. I was so afraid. Uh, I couldn't enter into a cemetery. I mean, it was just like, uh, to me, I, I was a very fearful child. And, and since I met the Lord, it, it has been amazing that you, you kind of get a sense of living in the atmosphere of love. And that's only a glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. But it, it's just amazing to have a sense of the love of God in our heart. I don't want to watch things that make me afraid. I want to enjoy this this um, this sense of the person, of the presence of God in my life. And heaven will be attractive because the atmosphere, and think about a home. Think about a home where there's bickering, where there's fighting, where there's, where there's um, um, just... Uh, jealousy and competitiveness, and 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 anger, and and uh, think about that, and the difference of a family that is um, a loving home. What a contrast that is! You know, I went to Nashville, and I went to Ray Ortland. Uh, I went to a church uh, in Emmanuel in Nashville, Tennessee, and um, <laughs> there was. Uh, Ray Orland, who's a, a Christian author, and his wife, uh, Jenny, and, Gianni, and we were, I, was, I sat in the back, and Brian sat in the back, and they're having a conversation, and, and he's like, oh, oh, Jenny, do you think I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have prayed like that? I just, I don't know, what do you think? She goes, oh, Ray, you were wonderful. And and then and then, and no, I don't know. It's says, "Okay, but so hi, sweetie." And and anyway, they're having a conversation. They're talking to each other, and and I don't even remember the whole thing. But I remember thinking, "That's not my house." <laughs> I mean, we're not there. <laughs> I mean, there was, I mean, we love each other and we communicate well with each other, but we have our moments, you know. And, and, I, and I, I honestly, I saw this older couple living in, uh, in the way they communicated with each other and in the way that they were affectionate, affectionate and considerate towards one another. And I just thought to myself, oh, my, God, my goodness, that's an atmosphere of love. I want to grow in my home into that. I want to grow I want to keep growing but anyway the atmosphere of love that's what will make heaven attractive but God's love is not just wide it's not just long God's love is deep and this is one of the ones that I just I just think it's incredible because you can look at this deep love of God in two ways number one is how deep he came to love us I mean sometimes we all have feelings of love It's one thing to have a feeling of love to somebody. It's another thing to go out of your way for somebody. And Jesus left heaven. Jesus left an atmosphere of perfect love between the Father and the Spirit. And he came to earth. He came into a womb. When he came, there was no room for him to stay in. He ended up working in a carpentry shop. He lived in Nazareth, which um, we have people from Nazareth, so I'm not going to say anything bad about it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but he, he came, he lived in Nazareth. Uh, he went to Egypt. He went to the woman at the well. He went to the graveyard to find that man. He went to Mary Magdalene. He went, um, um, he, he humbled himself to the point where he allowed himself to be spat upon, to be, Brutally beaten, he was crucified, and there, if you want to know deeper, he took on the sin of the whole world. All the garbage that we dare not even face. And he came, and he loved us so deep that he was willing to go just to the depths, even of, of, of hell in a sense, to redeem us. I mean, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. And the love of God is deep. But he didn't just come deep himself. He came to meet us at the depths of our situation. The depths of our sin. The depths of our emptiness, of our addictions, of our dysfunctionality, our overwhelmness, our anxieties, the depths of even abuse that we've suffered, the depths of the hurts. And Corrie Ten Boom, who was in a, in a concentration camp in, um, in Germany, she, um, she wrote... After surviving the concentration camps, she said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. And maybe here today, you're, you're in a situation where you just feel just so empty or so down or so anxious or so ba- bound by addiction. Maybe you feel completely trapped and you think you're out of depth. God's love is deep. God's love is deeper still. But then God's love is not just wide, It's not just long, It's not just high. Paul prays that we would know also the height of the love of God. And the height, he finds us deep, but he raises us high. Most most Christians have a limited view of God's love. Most Christians, the, the extent of God's love is God has forgiven my sin. I'm just—I'm forgiven, I um, and you know—and I'm no uh, longer—and now I can die well, and uh, because I'm forgiven. But he didn't just die for forgiveness of sins, but like we said, he died to give us new birth, to give us a new life. He didn't just die to save us from punishment. He died to make us children of God. He has given us... I mean, it's just incredible when you see um, the Holy Spirit being given to us. In Philippians 3... 22 through 21 it says for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the savior the lord who will transform our lowly body that may be confronted to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able to subdue all things to himself a few years ago uh loretta and i traveled to the u.s and uh uh i i i was in. I joined the US Army as a Spanish citizen with residency in the United States. And then when it, um, I didn't want to become a citizen at the time. But then years later, I just kind of thought to myself, oh my goodness, if my, grandma, if my mother got sick uh, or my brother, I would only be able to go to the States maybe for three months. And I wouldn't be able to stay there because I, I wasn't a citizen. And they had taken my green card away, or I gave it away, because I, wasn't able, I was li- living as a missionary in uh, in Europe. And then um, at one point I realized that there was a law that if you had served in the U.S. Army one day during time of war, you were entitled to U.S. citizenship. Now it took a long time to convince the officers, because the law was a bit un- ambiguous. And so they, they weren't really that familiar with it. but. Finally, they gave in, and they're like, "Yes, you can become a U.S. citizen without living in the United States, but you have to come to the United States to do it." And so, Loretta and I traveled to California, to Southern California, and um, and we went to the Staples Center, I think it's called, and and there they played music. There was people. There was a big ceremony, and 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 I became a U.S. citizen. And I tell you, my goodness, I mean, Loretta was not much for America, but even she was moved to tears, you know, and, 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 but it's a big thing when you become a, a, a citizen of any country. You are united with the whole country. You, you say that you will defend the country, that you would love, that you will be loyal to that country. It's a huge thing. And I remember, I mean, just thinking, oh my goodness, I am a U.S. citizen now. It was huge. Now, I'm not much of a patriotic person in the sense of Spanish or American or, or, or whatever. But um, that was a very special moment in my life. And, and the reason I'm not so patriotic is because one of the things that, I, that, that is amazing is that, my goodness, God has given us in his love heavenly citizenship. I mean, think about it. As believers, we are citizens of heaven. But we're not just citizens of heaven. We are children of God. We, we can pray. We, we don't have to say, oh, king, oh, listen to me, king, far away, or ask for a petition. We, are, we can draw near with sincerity and with faith as children of God. And through the Spirit of God living in us, we can cry out, oh, Abba, Father, I mean, it's amazing. Today I read that psalm on purpose. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Bless his holy name. Because we have to remind ourselves that we are not just people that have been forgiven. We are the most privileged people in the universe as Christians. The most privileged people in the universe. And God's love doesn't just forgive and leaves us in the depth. He loves us too much to leave us in our addictions, in our depressions, in our anxieties, and and, and all this stuff. And, And He loves us too much even to leave us just forgiven. He wants to, He lifts us into a place of love, into a place of joy, into a place of peace, into a place of hope into a place of belonging, into a place of identity, into a place of, of uh, glorification. It's incredible. We have to literally pinch ourselves and say, my goodness, God's love lifts us, lifts us high. And Paul prayed. And there's a need for Christians to be deepened in the love of God. Listen, Paul spent three years with the Ephesian church, and he taught them daily. Imagine a Bible study every day with the Apostle Paul for three years, and he leaves and he writes him a letter. I'm praying that you will go deeper, and there's a natural response that follows the loving that we we should respond to that love. And lastly, in, in Luther's time, there was a little girl that was totally terrified of God. And by the thought of what God, uh, of the God she perceived to be, an, the awful character of God, and as an angry judge, and she came with a piece of with a scrap of paper, running towards her mother, and she says, "Mom, Mom, I'm not afraid of God anymore." And the only thing that you could read on that scrap of paper was, God so loved that he gave. And the mother says, that makes it all right? It doesn't say what he gave. She said, the little girl says, oh, mother, it doesn't matter. If he loved enough to give anything, it's all right. If he's a generous God, if he's a benevolent God. And listen, it doesn't take away from the fact that he's just, from the fact that he's holy, from the fact that he will judge sin. But what he's saying is his love is so much that he gave in order to rescue. And here Nicodemus responds beyond the signs. In Rome, and, in, and, and Paul says in Romans, I mean, think about the anchor of his soul being the love of God. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all. Who shall, how shall he not with him also give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore, also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Listen, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall difficulties, shall distress. Shall persecution? Shall hunger, famine? Should nakedness? Should persecution, or famine, or, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is, and he says, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded. Listen, that neither death nor life nor Angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so what shall we, what shall we, what shall this produce in us? How shall we respond to this teaching, to this, to this biblical truth in the Bible? How do we respond to this? Number one. It should, whether we're rejected, whether we are hurt, whether we've hurt others, whether we have sinned, whether we are anxious, whether we are confused, we should realize that Jesus is the refuge we can press into. He's a refuge. You know, no matter what art and I mean, there's one thing... um, Uh, well, with Arden, yeah, I, I think even, I think with all of us, I mean, I remember this when I was a little kid, that you fall, and the first thing you want is you want your mother or your father. You just go, and it's like, I mean, you ever, you ever fall to where you lost your almost like consciousness, your breath, you couldn't, and, and then you just, you just want your mother's arms or your father's arms. And what we, in, in us, it should produce when we realize the love of God that no matter what is going on in our life, we don't, I mean, the devil's going to try to push us away from him, but we realize he is our refuge and we press in to him. The other thing it should produce, our hearts should be settled in the love of God. And it should they should become full of the peace of God. Number three, we should grow in appreciation. There's there should be a, a, a part of us, if, if not all of us, like like. Uh, one of the songs, one of the hymns says, Love so amazing, love so divine, Demands my life, my soul, my all. There should be something in us That we respond in gratitude, In appreciation, in realization Of everything that He is to us. Don't you, isn't it true that as, as we, With our children, and, or with us, the The older we grow, And the more even we parent the more we appreciate our parents and when we were 13 and when I was 13 I, I couldn't stand my mom she was always in the way always in the way and now it's just like oh my goodness she gave so much for me when we mature we appreciate And so we we begin to appreciate the love of God as we mature, and then in appreciating, we get to a point where we give back, like Paul said, "The love of Christ constrains me." The love of God was so strong in him, and this is really big for me. I don't want. I I. When people come to church, I, I don't. I mean, we need help and stuff. And sometimes I really hesitate to ask people for help because I don't want people to feel like they have to do things. I want people that, you know, that we get to a place of maturity where we realize, oh, my goodness, God has loved me so much. What can I give to Him? I just want to respond. I'm so thankful to God. I'm so appreciative to the Lord. He's done so much that all I want to do is just give back, not only in the church, but in the community, from our life, Lord, what would you have me to do? How can I be a part? And I want to finish with reading one verse, Deuteronomy 7, 6. It says, for you are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you, nor choose you because you were more in number than the other people. For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Father, we pray, Lord, that today, this morning here, nobody would leave here without being touched and without realizing that you love tremendously. That lesson that Nicodemus learned that day, for God so loved the world that he gave His only begotten Son I pray father that this would sink deep into our hearts today in all of us and as we take communion Lord as we pass the elements I pray that there will be you know even even today be remembrance day as we remember the lives that have been given for us for us to enjoy peace prosperity and Liberty That as we remember the many that laid down their lives or served, that we also would go even deeper and remember the one, you who gave your life to save us from a king, from a, a prince of the air that is much stronger than any human being on earth. And that you came to give us peace and liberty and prosperity. So, Lord, we we just ask that you would fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and make us into people that know your love and make us into people that appreciate your love and people that, in turn, become lovers of you and lovers of people. In Jesus' name, amen.